0: And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not embitter your children or they will become discouraged. Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything, and do it not only when the eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Whatever you do, work it with all your heart as working for the Lord, not for men, since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you are serving. Anyone who does wrong will be repaid for his wrong, and there is no favouritism. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair, because you know that you also have a master in heaven.
1: Father, we thank you for the uh, privilege that we have to consider your word. And we pray. thank you that your word is so lively, <clears throat> that it uh, speaks to us in our circumstances in life and uh, instructs us as to how we can live with Christ as our Lord. And we pray now that uh, you would help us to concentrate Uh, that by your spirit and your word that you'd be informing us and you'd be helping us to think through uh, how we ought to be living differently because of Christ in us. We pray the same for the kids next door in the Sunday school, that they would be being firmly rooted in the gospel and that they would be learning how to love and appreciate and value uh, your word and how to use your word and how to uh, learn from your word for themselves that they might love and serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Today I want to talk about work. And we Aussies have always been at the forefront of trying to limit the amount of work that we do. Is that right? Have you noticed that? Uh, In 1856, the stonemasons in Melbourne were the first workers in the world to uh, win the to place a limit around work so that work would be no more than how many hours a day? A day. <laughs> <laughs> Thirty-eight hours a day. I think we can see the way that work life is, is heading now. Uh, the the eight hour day. Uh, first in the world, eighteen fifty-six uh stonemasons in Melbourne. By 1916, that was made uh, law throughout the entire uh, Victoria. The other Australian states soon followed. And then some of the other countries in the world uh, followed suit as well. The eight-hour working day. What's happening to the eight-hour working day? Do you think it might be starting to become a, a relic of the past? Well, according to some studies, yeah, they reckon that's what's happening. Uh, the um, the Australia Institute uh, published a study where uh, they came to the conclusion that the average Australian full-time worker spends now 41 hours a week at work. That's three hours more than the average in other developed countries. Uh, that uh, one in five... Uh, Australian full-time workers works for more than 50 hours per week. One in three, get this, one in three never takes any of their annual leave. Never. Although these days, um, I mean, what they're saying is that what it adds up to is that uh, we're spending about 1,855 hours a year at work on average, although you don't have to be at work to be at work these days, don't do you <laughs> have you noticed that? you know mobile phones, laptop computers, the internet the the, the boundaries between work and family life have, are just starting to dissolve away, and that's the new working life for people. but uh, what it means is that for most of us. We, at some point in our lives, do spend time as being full-time workers. And some people, that's their life for 40 to 50 years of their life, spent in the full-time workforce. So it means that working is something which is really important for life. It's a fundamental aspect of, of who we are and the life that we live. And it's an important aspect of our life as far as God is concerned as well because God's concerned for all of our life and especially because our work usually involves other people. And God is concerned about how we treat other people, especially in the the workplace and how we go about doing our work. It's all very, very important to God. And uh, it's no surprise really because you know, we relate to people in the workplace and sometimes that's a great joy and a blessing. Sometimes the workplace can be a place of conflict, can't it? Especially the conflict that sometimes uh, breaks out between employees and bosses uh, who often have competing interests where both sides can sometimes feel just a little bit hard done by. Uh, so the employee who feels that she's getting a bit of a bad deal from the boss and he won't listen to her, or the boss who feels that he can't get rid of that bad employee uh, because of laws and regulations and so on. And so it can be a place of conflict. And the question then is what difference does being a Christian make in the workplace? Well, that's a huge topic and we're not even going to be able to skim the surface today But hopefully this passage kind of cracks open that issue for us. Uh, Because the question is, what attitude should the Christian boss or the Christian worker have in their work and what attitude should they have towards others, towards each other? Now, God calls all sorts of people to put their trust in Christ. That's a wonderful thing, isn't it? And so what that means is that churches are full of all kinds of different people, different age brackets, different genders, different uh, social economic situation, different you know, lots of different jobs, different kinds of jobs, different situations in the workplace. Um, so some people are ordinary employees, uh, some people in the church might be managers, some people in the church might be business owners who employ other people for them. And in some con- in congregations, many congregations indeed, I think even in our own congregation, you'll have congregation members who work for other congregation members. Uh, congregation members who employ other congregation members. Now, that was true in the church in Colossae. Uh, we're looking at Colossians chapter 3, if you want to have that open up uh, in front of you. Because in the church in that little Turkish town of Colossae, there was this wonderful mix of people in the congregation, and a wonderful mix of people's work situations. Now, industrial relations in the Roman Empire in the first century was a little bit different to industrial relations in Australia in the 21st century. I'll tell you what one of the big differences is, and you can see it in the first word in today's passage, if you want to have a look at uh, chapter 3 verse 22, what's the, be- what's the first word there that makes the huge difference in terms of industrial relations? Chapter 3 verse 22, the word is? Slaves. Slaves. Good to see you're all still awake and listening. <laughs> Slaves. You ever felt like a slave at work? Come on, of course you have. I've got to tell you though, slavery in the Roman Empire was the real deal and uh, so it's it's worth our while actually just stepping back for a moment and 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 thinking about what that economy and what that culture was like, because slavery was real, and slavery does make a difference um, in the first century. let me paint a picture for you in the first century the Ro- various parts of the Roman Empire were uh, were a slave society and uh, what that means is that in any society where 30% of the population are slaves, then that is considered to be so much an integral part of that society and that economy and culture that it's classified as being a slave society. Up until uh, 1865, the southern, some of the southern states in America were officially a slave society. And uh, in the Roman Empire, in s- certain parts of the Roman Empire, there was about 30% of the population that was slaves. It varied. In some parts it was only 10%. But certainly in the heart of empire, in Italy, uh, where in the first century you had a population of about 7.5 million people, About somewhere between two to three million of those were slaves. Uh, We don't know what the percentage was in Colossae, but you get the picture of that society and the empire. Slavery was a huge part of the economy and of the culture. Um, People thought, the way they thought was just that it was normal to have slaves. Uh, Middle-class families would often have uh, one, two, three household slaves uh, uh, in their ownership. Uh, Some wealthy families with large estates owned hundreds of slaves. There was one guy who, it's reported, owned about 3,000 slaves on his extensive uh, properties. Notice that what I've said is that they owned slaves, I didn't say they employed slaves because that's not what slavery is. Slavery is not about employing someone. Slavery is about owning someone. One human being owning another human being for their own purposes. That's what slavery is all about. Um, There were four main ways that people became slaves in the Roman Empire. One way was through being captured in a war and uh, there were plenty of wars. That's how come the Roman Empire became an empire by going to war with people. In fact, uh, uh, the more wars you've got, the more you need slaves because you're sending your able-bodied men out to fight and you need someone to be running the business uh, on the home front. And so that was the first way. People were captured in wars and they became slaves. Another way of becoming a slave was to be born a slave because your mum and your dad or your mum was a slave and you're born as a slave. Uh, there were some people who were kidnapped and they, be- and they were sold at the slave market. And uh, there were other people who sold themselves into slavery because they had a debt that they needed to pay and so they sold them, the only thing they could do was sell themselves, get the money, pay off the debt. Uh, There were cases reported of Christians who would sell themselves uh, into slavery in order to get the money to buy another person whom they loved out of slavery. Yeah, it's a little bit what Jesus, like what Jesus did for us when he died on the cross, isn't it? Right? So that's how people became slaves and when we think of slaves, uh, we often think of the African slaves in America in the uh, 18th and 19th centuries, but uh, Roman slaves were a bit different to that. Basically, uh, In terms of race, they were often the same race as the slave master or they were a very, very similar race. So there wasn't issues of racial uh, prejudice involved. Uh, Many slaves were educated and indeed highly skilled people. And slavery in the Roman Empire, uh, unlike in America, it was not for life that uh, slave masters would often hold out the promise that they would free their slaves uh, if the slaves actually worked well and it was an incentive for them. In fact, uh, that was so frequently the case that one of the Roman emperors uh, had to make a law to say that you couldn't release your slave until they'd reached 30 years of age because he was concerned about too many slaves um, being freed. And there were lots of different jobs for slaves. Many worked as labourers, um, many worked as domestics around the household, Uh, or they could work in accountancy and in managerial positions if their master was was a uh, a wealthy master. And what that meant was that if the master was wealthy or if he was important politically then to be one of his managerial slaves would be a position of status. Uh, In fact, there were slaves who had higher status in society than uh, many freed people or free people. That's the good news. And, And of course, another thing to add to that is that many slaves, after they were freed, made the decision to be employees of their slave master. Um, and sometimes slaves even lived better lives than many peasants because at least they had a roof over their head and they had uh, food in their tummies. Uh, but that's the good news. Uh, the bad news is that of course human nature, slaves were oppressed. Uh, some slaves uh, worked as, were, were used for blood sport, gladiators and so on, Uh, many slaves were used as sex slaves, both male and female and a lot of slaves were just oppressed, just treated poorly by their masters. Give a person that kind of ownership and authority over a person and you can expect that oppression is going to take place. That's a snapshot of this particular slave society. And because slavery was such a big part of life, when the gospel was fanning out across the Roman Empire uh, through the preaching of Paul and others, um, all sorts of people were becoming Christians. And what that meant was that there there was a lot of slaves who put their trust in Jesus there was a lot of slave masters who put their trust in Jesus. In fact, when you read in the Bible that that a whole household uh, turned to Christ, believed the gospel, uh, what that probably means is not just the family members, but the domestic slaves that were considered to be part of the household as well. And so slaves and masters were becoming Christians, and so there, you know, put you imagine the Colossian church sitting together, perhaps like we are today, and someone's reading the letter that Paul's written to them from uh, to the Colossians, and you've got some slaves, you've got some slave masters in the congregation, you might even even have. A slave and his master sitting together in church. You know, in Galatians chapter 3, verse 28, it says that there is neither Jew nor Greek, male nor female, slave nor free, for we are all one in Christ Jesus. It's a great picture, isn't it? But that's the picture of the Colossian church. So, what difference then does being a Christian make if you're a slave? Well, Have a look at the text. In verse 22, Paul says, I just want to talk to the slaves for a moment, the slaves in the congregation. And in verse 22, he says to them, Slaves, obey your earthly masters in everything and do it not only when their eye is on you and to win their favour, but with sincerity of heart and reverence for the Lord. Now, does it sound a little bit here like Paul is kind of going into bat for the slave masters? Uh, do you think uh, that um, you know the slave masters' association of, uh, of Colossi might be thinking, "Good on you, Paul!" And you can imagine the slave, some slave masters thinking to themselves, "You preach it to them, brother. <laughs> That's what they need to hear," because Paul says that slaves should do. What the master says, even when he's not around. Ever come across that sort of thing in the workplace? You know, the the workmate who always does the right thing and looks like the ideal employee when the boss is there, but as soon as the boss is out the door, they kind of do whatever, the, the, the minimum that they can get away with. Ever come across that? I have. Paul says, don't be like that. And why not? I mean, why should slaves obey their earthly masters? I mean, think of, you know, if you're a slave, that you're a slave because you were captured in a war and now you're finding yourself as a slave, why on earth should you want to wholeheartedly and with sincerity obey your earthly master even when he's, even when he's out of town? Why? Well... The answer to that is found in the term earthly masters. You see, who is it that Christian slaves are really working for? In verse 23, Paul says, Whatever you do, work at it with all your heart as working for the Lord and not for men. In verse 24, who is it that they are really serving? It is? the Lord Christ You see if we are Christians then no matter our situation in life whether we are a boss or a worker whether we are a uh, you know year 7 kid in school or whether we're the school principal as Christians we all have a master in heaven And so far from slacking off when the, the earthly master is, is out the door the Christian slave will want to keep on working and working faithfully and sincerely as if the master is still around. Because guess what? The master is still around. Our heavenly master is always watching. Now, understanding this reality uh, can actually help us to cope Better with a difficult boss at work. Because we can see that that boss that's a bit of a tyrant, in our view, uh, that that boss will, he or she, they're they're really only middle management. They're really only the supervisor or the leading hand or the office manager. But the higher boss, the managing director, our real boss, uh, the one we're actually working for, well, he's God and he's in heaven and he's the one we're working for. He's the one we're serving. And so it helps you to, to look above that person who's in front of you and to look higher up the corporate ladder <laughs> to the real boss. Now, of course, sometimes that can be incredibly tough going and I, I don't mean to minimise that at all. But it seems that the key... Uh, to persevering in difficult circumstances is also to have a hope. Not only to understand that there's the heavenly master that we're serving, but to have a a, a knowledge of uh, what he will do. And so in verse 24, Paul reminds the Colossian Christian slaves of their hope. And he says that one day there will be two things that are going to happen. Firstly, you will receive your eternal inheritance from your master. He doesn't treat you as a slave, he actually treats you as a son with an inheritance. And that is this earthly life is, is fleeting, it's passing. There is an eternal life that is your inheritance. And secondly, there is also justice. And if someone has done you wrong, a a, a wicked slave master, they're not going to get away with it. Your master, your true master, is going to deal with that. Now, of course, the Colossian slaves knew that eventually they would probably be freed. Uh, That's a hope that the African slaves in America never had. Uh, and for us, uh, we, we may have the opportunity if we're in a bad work situation to just quit <laughs> and go and find another job. That's a good and right thing to do. But as long as we are working for someone, as long as we are still in their employ, then we ought to do so with a sincere heart out of reverence for our true master the Lord God. So that's what Paul says to the slaves. What about the slave masters? What does being a Christian uh, do for them? What difference does that make? Well, chapter 4, verse 1, Paul says, All right, I've talked to the slaves in the congregation. Masters, got a little word for you here as well. Masters, provide your slaves with what is right and fair because you know that you also have a master. In heaven. Now, in the Roman slave society, there were people in influential positions, thinkers, philosophers and so on, who did advocate the idea that it was right, it was best to treat your slaves well. But when you read some of the stuff they wrote, the reason that they're saying that is because if you treat your slave well, then guess what? They're going to be happier in their work and you're going to get more production out of them. Right? Um, in Australia, uh, there is one company that is rated by its employer by uh, the Business Review Weekly did a survey of lots of companies in Australia, surveyed employees to try to work out what's the company in Australia that people most love to work. For, can, does anyone know what company that is? The government. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think they. Any government employees here? Uh, they, they said work. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, so, sorry. <laughs> anyone want to have another guess? Any thoughts? BHV. BHV okay. I'm not sure where they uh, stood in the rankings, Clint. Google. Google's the answer. That's and you're going ah, ah yeah why didn't I think of that of course Google well, why do you think it's so the Google employees just love working at Google I'm going to tell you huh? informality, and informality and financial benefits pretty close there Rob but I'll tell you why work for Google you get to play ping pong at work okay. Work for Google, and uh, you get to sink into beanbags during company meetings. Work for Google, and uh, you get to eat in the staff cafeteria for free. Right? And uh, you know, what, what the, the reason you know, that uh, companies have picked up on this idea is that you treat your employees well, and they'll be happy to work for you, and they'll work better, and it makes good profit-making sense. Personally, I like the idea of the beanbags and meetings. Committee management, take note. But Paul here gives Christian masters a much better and a much higher reason Why should masters treat their slaves well? Well, because Paul says, you too have got a master in heaven. You too have got a master in heaven. And you too have to obey what he wants. And what he wants is for you to treat your slaves well. Now, some people have criticised Paul. They say that uh, Paul here seems to agree with the concept of slavery. I mean, they say, why didn't Paul speak up against slavery? Uh, Why didn't Paul just speak directly to those slave masters and say, hey guys, release your slaves? Why didn't he do that? Is Paul somehow part of the whole problem of keeping slavery as part of the institution of life. You know, the reality is that um, uh, throughout history that people who named Jesus as their Lord and Master um, have been at the very forefront of uh, abolishing slavery. So William Wilberforce, of course, in England, Uh, In the early 19th century, Uh, in America, uh, prior to the Civil War, it was uh, the emancipation movement in the northern states was headed up by evangelical Christians and, uh, and and also by Quakers. And so Christians have been in the forefront to abolish slavery as an institution. And the reality is also that Paul did not agree with this industry this uh, industry where human beings were being bought and sold like cattle. Uh, you know what he says about slave traders? Well, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10, he says a few things about slave traders and you tell me whether you think this means that he, he loved them or he's not in favour of them. Uh, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 1 verse 10 that they are lawbreakers, that they are rebels, that they are ungodly, That they are sinful, they are unholy, and they are irreligious. Does that sound like he likes them? No, he's just piling more and more sin on top of other sin in his description of slave traders. Paul's main concern, though, was to free men and women from a different kind of slavery. So I wonder if you might come with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 7 for a moment. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, uh, have a look at verse 20 and 22. It's on page 810. And in verse uh, 20, I'll just wait till the rustle of papers stops. I know you'll all have have that open. Okay? 1 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 20 Paul says each one of you should remain in the situation which he was in when God called him and that is when God called him to be a Christian. Were you a slave when you were called? Don't let it trouble you although if you can gain your freedom do so. For he who was a slave when he was called by the Lord is the Lord's freedman. Similarly, he who was a free man when he was called is Christ's slave. Paul's goal is to free people from the slavery and the judgment of sin. And so he made it his business. To preach the gospel about Jesus whose death on the cross has paid for our sin, who has bought us at a price, so that we might be forgiven, so that we might be free to say to, to, to serve God as our master. So that Paul says here that the slave who believes the gospel is now free. They are now free from sin and death and they are now free to serve the Lord God. And the free man who believes the gospel, well, he's now a slave. He's been freed in order to to become a slave. A slave who serves the Lord God as his master. You see, the slavery and the freedom that Paul's on about is... Being freed from the slavery of sin and death and judgment, and brought into the freedom or the slavery of actually serving the Lord God as master. In Roman society, it was expected that uh, masters would take advantage of their slaves, and it was expected that slaves would only work when the master was watching. And I think we all know that the same attitudes still exist in the workplace today. But as Christians, our attitude is to be different. If we have a boss at work, we are to look above him or her and we are to do our work faithfully because the real boss is the one in heaven, the one who cares for us, the one who loves us. And if you are a boss at work and you're tempted... Uh, To unfairly put the squeeze on those uh, who are below you, then what is it that you need to remember? Well, what you need to remember is that even if you're at the very top of the corporate ladder, in actual fact, you're just middle management. And there is a boss who is higher than you, he is in heaven. And he's sent the instructions down the line to you. And his instructions are to provide for your workers what is fair and what is right. That's what the boss has said. And that's how we are to treat one another in the workplace. Paul uh, did not get involved in a massive movement to revolutionise and change the economic and social structure of his society, what Paul wanted to do was to change the hearts of people through proclaiming the gospel, so that it's not structures that were changed, it was relationships that were changed. Our relationship with God firstly, our relationship with one another and indeed, as we've seen over time, it's because people have that love of God in their hearts the structures did change. But Paul's concern is our relationships, how we treat one another, how we care for those who are under us, how we uh, respect and honour those, those who are over us in the Lord. For we put God as first in all our relationships, in our marriage relationship between husband and wife, in our family relationship between uh, parents and children, particularly fathers and their children, and here as we've seen in the place where some of us spend 40 to 50 years of our life. 1,855 hours every year for the average Australian full-time worker. Let's pray, shall we? Father God, we thank you that you do give us work and that uh, through that that you care for our uh, physical needs. And we thank you that you call all sorts of people into your kingdom, Uh, that uh, there are those of us here who uh, no longer work or who are yet to enter into the workforce, Uh, that there are those of us here who uh, are working under authority, there are those of us who work in positions of authority, and those of us who own businesses. Uh, We pray, Father God, that uh, we would uh, perceive uh, that our reality is that we're all actually working uh, and serving uh, you, our heavenly master. And it is you to whom we are accountable. It is you to whom we respond. And may our love for you that flows from your great love for us in the gospel flow through in terms of the way that we treat others in the workplace. And we pray that as non-Christians observe the way that we behave towards others, that they would see something of you and your grace uh, in our lives and be attracted to the Saviour. Strengthen us, we pray, through your Gospel and help us to encourage each other to keep on living with Christ as our Lord. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.